Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start at verse 44. This is the last Wednesday of our Beyond series. So we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week, talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, its importance, and tongues and interpretation of tongues. Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they may understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Go to Acts chapter 1. As we know, Luke wrote the gospel that bears his name as well as the book of Acts. And notice Jesus gave specific instructions to his followers, wait in Jerusalem till you receive the power from the Holy Spirit, the power that comes from on high. It was so important, Jesus said, don't do anything until you receive this power. We'll start with Acts chapter 1 verse 1. He said, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. That's the book of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. We just read that. He says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized, submerged, covered in the holy, with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But he redirects them to what he wants them to talk about, what wants them to know. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So some of the last words of Jesus to them while they were on the earth was to wait till you receive the power that comes from on high. You need this baptism of the Holy Ghost. When you look in John 16, 14, 15, and 16, when Jesus is talking to his apostles in the garden, he says, it's good for me to go. You have to think, if you're one of the disciples, how would it be good for Jesus to leave you? Especially if you walk with him three years. But he says, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. And he will do everything I did plus some. Speaking up with verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Praise God, Jesus is coming back again. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were coming, they went into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So there are 120 that gather together for these 10 days to do what Jesus said. Now, it doesn't mean only 120 people believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. When you study it out and look at Paul's writings, it said at one time Jesus appeared to 500 people. 
So there was at least 500 people who knew that Jesus was alive, but not all of them went to these services, these prayer meetings. You know, you got to think, what else do you got to do that's more important than what Jesus told you to do? And so he begins to address them. They begin to pick the replacement for Judas. They pick the lots follow Matthias. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this was just 10 days later after Jesus ascended. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born, Parthenians, and Medes, and Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, round about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now, just because you start speaking in other languages does not mean you are drunk. If you met someone speaking another language, you won't think they are drunk, right? They must have been exhibiting signs of being drunk. How do you know this? It's but Peter standing up with the 11. They weren't seated. They are on the ground, acting like drunk people, probably rolling, laughing, carrying on. He lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it's only 9 a.m. That meant something then. It doesn't mean nothing now. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he points back to saying, what you're seeing is a promise that God promised 700 years ago through the ministry of the prophet Joel. You're seeing it manifest before your very eyes. This prophecy is the promise of Jesus in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. So he begins to preach to them a marvelous sermon. And when you get to verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, talking about the Holy Ghost, is unto you and unto your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So after the 120 are filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter preaches his message, and then he gets all the other people who get saved filled with the Holy Ghost. The whole purpose is to get saved and get filled with the Holy Ghost. So you have 3,000 other people this day who are now going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. So that goes against what some people teach, that only the apostles spoke in other tongues. Not true. There's 120 in the upper room. Now you got another 3,000 on top of that. Go to chapter 8. And when you read Luke 24 and Acts 1, you see that Jesus wanted them to take the gospel everywhere. He says, when you receive the power from on high, you start at your hometown and then you keep moving. Amen? But the church was disobedient. They liked staying at home in Jerusalem. They liked staying where they wanted to stay. And so when this early church was disobedient, they opened up the door for the enemy and persecution came in, and he saw Saul and others began to persecute the church, and they scattered the church. When we begin our Bible study for James next week, we'll pick up talking about the scattering of the church, because James is walked right into those who were scattered from Jerusalem. But the thing is about this church, they did scatter, but as they scattered, they decided to do what Jesus told them to do in the first place. As they ran, they were preaching Jesus in all the different places they go. That's why Philip is going down to Samaria. And he preached Christ unto them, verse 5. Now, did he just preach Jesus' last name? No, Christ is the anointed one in his anointing. So he's preaching Jesus' is anointed. He preaches the anointing is a burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He's preaching those things which he heard and which he learned. What's the result of that message? 
And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, and hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now we're about to see why they sent unto them Peter and John. You think Philip's doing a great job. He went down, preached a revival. The whole city is listening to Philip. People are being saved, healed, delivered. God is moving great ways. Those who follow the occult now follow Jesus. This is a great revival. Everyone agree? It even says there's great joy in the city. And so when they heard, they sent Peter and John, who when they were come down, Pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, great things are happening in the church at Samaria, but they knew that's not enough. Y'all need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. So let's send Peter and John. And so what do they do? Do they just walk over to people, stop slapping them, receive the Holy Ghost, receive the Holy Ghost? No. They would have to preach the message. Jesus wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you follow Jesus, but Jesus wants you to have something else. Now you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost by faith. You can pray in faith and receive it on your own. But there's also a ministry of laying hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember I was preaching a series of revival meetings in Missouri one time. And I would go preach the itinerary. I was a student at ORU. So I went up there to preach. And there was a person who, you know, it was a Holy Ghost-filled church. He believed, but he wasn't sure about praying in tongues yet. So he says, I want more information. So they gave him some of Dad Hagen's mini books, and they gave him about four of them. And so he came back that night, and they told him he had just read all of them. And so while we finished ministering the Word, began to flow on the Holy Ghost, the Lord said, just tap on the cheek. So I tapped on the cheek, says, be baptized in the Holy Ghost. He started speaking in tongues just like that. There's a ministry of laying on of hands to receive it. And you can receive by faith. As you'll see when we look at Acts 10, there can be a move of the Holy Ghost in a sanctuary or in a service or an experience where people who are just open will be filled. There's different ways to receive it, but it's all connected to faith. But as we keep going here, it says they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with you, because you have thought you can purchase the gift of God with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. That word matter in the Greek is the word utterance. So like we said, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Same word. Notice Philip saw something. Excuse me. Simon saw something. When they laid hands, it wasn't this. They had a spiritual look on their face. He saw and he heard them speak with other tongues. Go to chapter 10. Start with verse 44. So you see in chapter 2, the 120 get filled, then the 3,000 get filled. Now all the believers in Samaria get filled. It was so important they wanted Peter and John to take a journey to minister that subject to them. And you got to think, out of all the apostles, if you, the best ones that we think about today would have been Peter and John. So all the apostles got together and said, let's take two of Jesus' inner circle three and send them to preach in Samaria. Let's send Peter, who is the leader of the early church at this time, John, who knows he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, let's send them. That's how important it was to the early church at Jerusalem 
to James, who was an emerging leader of the early church of Jerusalem, to Jesus' earthly family, said, hey, we need to send them so they can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice the importance that had to the early church. Acts 10, verse 44, Peter goes to preach in Cornelius' house. While he was preaching, while Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do they know they received the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Go to chapter 19. And in chapter 11, when Peter goes gives a report back in Jerusalem, he said, God fell on them like he did on us at the beginning. Now, this is not, when you read through the book of Acts, this is not a chapter, this happened today, this happened the next day. This is a number of years later, and the Holy Ghost is still moving, getting people filled with the Holy Ghost. It's still on God's agenda for people to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now you get in chapter 19, this is years later. And it came to pass, verse 1, while Paulos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Notice the first question after he finds these believers is, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said unto him, we have so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So not only is it a no, he's like, we don't even know he exists. And he said unto them, what we baptize, he said unto John's baptism. So he clears up the doctrine. He says, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So Paul wasn't just said, okay, we got some disciples. Praise God. They're in the church. What is the first question? Have you received the Holy Ghost? We don't know there's a Holy Ghost. Okay, let me fix this doctrine for you. Okay, we'll get you baptized. Now let me put my hands on you. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Notice how important. It is a constant theme through the book of Acts, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Notice the prominence and the preeminence is given to being baptized in the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking in other tongues. Every time people are filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, they're always speaking in other tongues. That is the initial evidence of receiving that baptism from heaven. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is a theme of the book of Acts. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is seen throughout the book of Acts and beyond. Paul was a great believer in speaking in other tongues. As we looked at last week, and we'll look again in a minute, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. In order for Paul to do that, that meant he, was, he woke up was speaking in tongues. Between meals, he was speaking in tongues. Walking to the market, he was speaking in tongues. He gave great time to praying in the Holy Ghost. That's why one of the things we were challenging to do in this 40-day challenge is to spend at least one hour praying in other tongues. 1 Corinthians 12, we even said you can break it up if necessary. But you need to have a total, at least one hour, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Notice, if you look in your Bible, the words gifts is italicized, which means it's added by the translator for the sake of ease of translation. But if it's added by the translator, you can take it out. So when you reread it, it says, now concerning spiritual or spirituals, brethren. What is spiritual or spirituals in this context? Things relating to the Spirit or things relating to the Holy Ghost. So chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, Paul begins in this book to talk about things relating to the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are included in that, but many other things are going to be in what Paul's about to talk about. And so you see he talks about diversity of gifts, differences of ministrations, diversities of operations. But verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So whatever spiritual gift God puts in your life is for the profiting of everybody. So he begins to list the nine gifts of the Spirit. He lists, well, we break them up for the sake of study, the power gifts. He lists the inspirational gifts or the vocal gifts. And he lists the revelation gifts. The revelation gifts are the word of knowledge, 
the word of wisdom, the discerning of spirits, which means seeing into the spirit world. It's not the gift of discernment. He's like, oh, I got the gift of discernment. No, you're just nosy. And if that gift of discernment was so great, turn it on yourself for about five minutes, you'll never want to use it again. It's not talking about getting into people's business. It's seen in the spirit world where you would see angels, demons, or the similitude of God. Now, when you talk about the power gifts, it's the gifts of healings, the working of miracles, and the gift of faith. But the vocal gifts or the inspirational gifts are tongues and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. You see that in verse 10. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these works that one and the selfsame spirit divide into every man severally as he wills. So let's break it down for a little bit. Diverse kinds of tongues is a supernatural message in an unknown language. Diverse kinds of tongues is a supernatural message in an unknown language. Interpretation of tongues is the interpreting of that message into a known language. Interpretation of tongues is the interpreting of that message into a known language. Notice it is not a word-for-word translation. It is an interpretation. So depending on who God uses to interpret the message in tongues, it can come out a little different. God will use the words that's in that person to bring out a different message. There's even certain ways I've seen it work with studying the life of Smith Wigglesworth, who you will look at how he would preach and talk when he was not under the anointing. But then you see, when the anointing came on him, even the dialect of his English changed as he interpreted the message the Holy Ghost gave. Then as you keep going, diverse kinds of tongues plus interpretation of tongues equal the gift of simple prophecy. Diverse kinds of tongues plus interpretation of tongues equal the gift of simple prophecy. What is the gift of simple prophecy? It is a supernatural message in a known language. All prophecy is a supernatural message in a known language. When you prophesy, it does not mean you are telling the future. Prophecy is a supernatural message in a known language. Now, prophecy can be a vehicle which God does tell the future. The word of knowledge is God's information, a part of God's knowledge concerning the past or the present. The word of wisdom is a part of God's wisdom concerning the future. So through the gift of prophecy, God can use it as a vehicle to reveal things to come. But just because you operate in the gift of prophecy does not make you a prophet. People say, well, I prophesied one time, that means I'm a prophet. No, that just means you operate in the gift of prophecy. Paul said every believer should prophesy. What is that? To give a supernatural message in a known language. Go to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings. What is he talking about there? The office of the evangelist. He is listing ministry offices or the five-fold ministry gifts, which are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then he says helps and governments. What is the government's gift of the body of Christ? It's the office of the pastor. Diversity of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you the more excellent way. People will use that passage and say, see, not everybody is supposed to speak in other tongues. You see, he just said, does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody interpret tongues? That's the, the answer must be no. But that's not what he's talking about. When you look at everything in the context, remember he's talking about not just spiritual gifts, things relating to the spirit. He said, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Doesn't mean that you can't teach somebody something you learn in the word of God, but that doesn't mean you stand in the office of teacher. Are all evangelists with the working of miracles and the gifts of healing as part of the ministry? No. Are all pastors? No. So when he's talking about diversity of tongues and interpretation of tongues here, he's not talking about the spiritual gifts we just read. He is talking about ministry gifts that are part of the supernatural equipment. Every ministry gift where the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, God has certain spiritual gifts that are part of your ministry equipment to fulfill the call he has on your life. 
The ministry of diversity of tongues and interpretation of tongues is part of the supernatural equipment of the pastor and the prophet. Diversity of tongues and interpretation of tongues are part of the supernatural equipment God gives to the pastor and to the prophet in order to fulfill their call. So he's not saying that everybody shouldn't speak with tongues. Paul, in his writing about the Holy Ghost, says, I want everybody to speak in other tongues. So go to chapter 14, verse 1. We'll start there. So when you read in chapter 12, 13, and 14, you have to rightfully divide the word of truth. Because there's the gift, the spiritual gift of diverse kinds of tongues. There's the fivefold ministry gift equipment of diversity of tongues. And there is the personal prayer language in other tongues. Three separate distinctions. But what happens is people lump them all in one thing and they walk in confusion and says, okay, see, that means nobody should speak in other tongues. So let's walk through chapter 14 and dispel some of these things people say. Follow after charity, follow after love, and desire spiritual things relating to the spirit, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him, how be it in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. We looked at this last week. Verse 3, but he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if a prophecy is given, the simple gift of prophecy is given for edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if God uses you in that way, it is a message that builds people up, not a message that tears people down. You know, people get profit happy, you know. People love titles. So you go to certain churches, certain meetings, everybody's a prophet. Everybody. I'm like, okay, you a prophet, you a prophet, you a prophet, you a prophet. And then you watch them prophesy. And it's like, why are you tearing everybody down? Why are you so spooky? See, the thing is, I'm anti-spooky. When I would teach the school of ministry, she can testify to that, I would teach them don't be spooky. They would even tell other teachers to say, you better get the spookiness out of your life before you get to pastor care because he will call you out on it and tell future classes about your spookiness. Because sometimes when they go to school of ministry, that first year they're super spooky. They may have right hearts, but they're just spooky. is the best word I can come up with it. And so I remember one time Bishop was like, well, how is the year one doing? I said, well, some of them have promise, but they're still a lot spooky. Year one's got to get the spook out of them. He just fell out laughing. He never thought someone was going to describe it that way. But what happens is some people, you know, they love Jesus, they're zealous, but they have no knowledge. And so in their zeal, someone asked me before, this is, what is the difference of being spiritual and spooky? And I thought about it. I said, well, spiritual people got power. Spooky people don't. I don't want to be spooky. I want to walk in power. And some of the people I know who walk in such great levels of the power of God, they're some of the most down-to-earth people you'd ever meet. Some of the nicest people, too. And that's one of the things of people who always call themselves a prophet, and they're so mean. They say, well, that's just the office I have. No, Jesus was a prophet, and he wasn't mean. And I know a number of prophets, and they're some of the most loving people you would ever meet. So sweet, so loving, so kind. Just because you stay in a certain office doesn't mean you can be rude. Doesn't mean you can be mean. Because more than likely, if the Holy Ghost is revealing something, he's not going to put everybody's mess on front street. He would only do that if it was a last resort option to get them before they ruined their life completely. Why? He's a gentleman. So a lot of people are like, oh, I remember going to ORU, there's uh, certain people, <laughs> you only hear these things at ORU and a few other places. They said, so-and-so speaking at chapel today. They said, oh, aren't they a prophet? I said, yeah. They go, I'm allergic to prophets, can't go today. Because what they were, they were afraid that their business would be put on front street. Watch how the Holy Ghost moves. He doesn't do that to expose people. He's not just in exposing people's business and going, ha, 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 like your own reality TV show. That's not what he does. He's love. He's a gentleman. And so the gift of prophecy is for your edification, your exhortation, and comfort. He's about building up the body of Christ. 
And if he has to reveal your mess in an individual way, it's because you were about to ruin your life or maybe lose your life, and he had to get involved to save your life. Nowhere in my notes, but God bless whoever the need of that. Verse 4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. It says, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interprets that the church may receive edifying. Now, as we keep going here, notice the whole purpose is that the church is edified, or the church is built up, the church is made stronger. So now he's not talking about your personal time. He's not talking about your personal prayer life. He's talking about what happens in a church service. What happens when believers gather together for the purpose of receiving the word of God. It says, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? So what he says, I can come up and I can just speak in tongues all day long. It's not going to do you any good. It's going to do me a lot of good, but it's not going to do you any good. He says, and even things without life-given sound, whether pipe or heart, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or heart? For the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? So likewise, ye, except you utter by tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken, for you shall speak into the air? There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaks a barbarian, and he that speaks shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts or things relating to the spirit, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. He said, yes, go after spiritual gifts, but go after gifts so you can build up the body of Christ. Go after gifts so you can encourage others. Don't go after gifts so people can look at you as some spiritual person. Go after the gifts so you can help other people. Wherefore, let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. We looked at this last week. When you're praying in the Holy Ghost, your mind does not know what you're saying. But your spirit is praying truly. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So you should take time and pray in your natural language. But then also you have to take time and pray in the Holy Ghost. It says you should sing in your natural language, but you should also sing in the Holy Ghost. So after we're done praising and worshiping the songs that are already on the schedule that's in the praise and worship hearts leader to sing, don't just stop singing just because the song's over. Take that time to lift your hands and begin to sing in the Spirit and magnify God. The, song, the worship's not over just because the last lyric of the sign is on the screen. You take time, lift your voice, and worship God in your understanding and in the spirit. One of the things I remember studying about the Azusa Street Revival, they said, any time we would sing in the spirit, the glory cloud would get thicker and stronger in that place. Notice he says, else when you shall bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of things, seeing he understands not what you say? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. So you can be in a smaller gathering. You could be at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and in thanking God for the food that you're about to receive in the presence. And you can thank God for your food and your presence in other tongues. And you did it well. But if there are people there who don't know what you're doing, they're not going to be grateful for the turkey. They're going to be running out the door, Right? So now he's talking about, remember, the edifying of the church. The whole purpose is to build people up. And now as you get a little bit further, he's going to talk about reaching the lost. So he's talking about doing things in a church service for the building up of people and the reaching of the lost. He's not saying that you don't speak in tongues in church. He is talking about how to build up the most people and reach the most people. Paul was about reaching people. He even said in other letters, says, I became, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. To them, I became this. Why? That I might save some. So he was looking for different ways to reach people so that he could reach his target. So he says, if I've got to change how I approach ministry, I'm going to do that so I can win somebody. This is the same mentality that's in this apostle as he's writing this. But notice he says in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. 
Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So, so what is he saying? Is he saying that you can't pray in tongues in church? You can't sing in tongues in church? No. He says, if I'm standing behind the pulpit to teach the word of God, I'm not going to just stand there and start speaking in other tongues and just go on an hour in tongues and go, well, I hope that blessed you and go sit down. No, Paul would be edified, he would be strengthened, but no one else would get it. Unless someone had an interpretation, it would bless nobody but Paul. So Paul is talking about how to bless the most people. Then he goes on and says, Brethren, be ye not children, and understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but understanding be men. And the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. We looked at this in Isaiah last week. And yet for all that will they will not hear me, says the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or believers, will they not say that you are crazy? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believes not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. And thus the secrets of his heart is made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, what is he talking about here? How can tongues be a sign for an unbeliever? Remember the book of Acts chapter 2? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak in other tongues as God gave them utterance. But it wasn't just their prayer language. There's an operation of the diversity of tongues where it's not just a heavenly language, but it's an earthly language. And so there could be a time the Lord may lead someone to give a message in tongues and you thinking, well, where's the interpretation? I remember reading about Dad Hagen and other men of God that gave a message in tongues. They didn't have an interpretation. They think, well, I must have missed it. But then someone comes up to him after the church service and said, hey, you spoke in perfect Arabic. You spoke in perfect this. You spoke in perfect this. And he says, well, what did I tell you? You told me that I needed to be saved, and I need to be saved. What happened? It is a sign to an unbeliever. It says prophecies for the church. Then he goes on, this is verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. So no matter what you do, let it be purpose for building up the church. Notice Paul's not just interested in having church to say you had church. He's not interested in you having your traditions. He's not interested in everybody being comfortable in church. He wants the church to be built up. He wants the church to be made stronger. He wants the church to be able to reach a lost and dying world. But notice he says, how is it that when you come to church, you have a song, you have a tongue, you have an interpretation, you have a teaching? Notice his mentality of coming to church. They weren't just coming to church for themselves to get something. I know it's a novel idea. But you come to church to bless people as well. It's not wrong to come to church to receive from God. But you should also come to church in order to be a blessing to somebody. You may say, well, I don't know if that message was for me. But maybe your presence alone blessed the neighbor next to you. I know someone was telling a story that recently within the last year that they came to church and there was a time where we're greeting the neighbor and someone just shared a word of love towards them as a quick word of encouragement. But it's exactly what they needed to hear. They came to church with a word that blessed somebody. People who serve on Team Faith, they're coming to church and they're blessing people. But even when you're not serving, when you're interacting with people during the welcome before or after, and you're sharing the love of God, you are helping people. You're being a blessing to people. You're building up the church. You're building up the body of Christ. But how can you come with a tongue and come with interpretation? I remember when I would ask Bishop, as I was growing up, he was training me in different things concerning the ministry. So I asked him about tongues and interpretation of tongues. And he says, it's all by faith. And he says, normally when I would have a message, he says, given in tongues the same way as the interpretation of tongues, I'll have the first two or three words. And then I'd say those, and by faith, I'd wait for the Holy Ghost to give me the rest. So we were talking about those things. But I remember another time, maybe a minister told me, he says, there are times where I have a dream the night before church, and I'll see myself given the interpretation of tongues. So he came to church with an interpretation, right? There's other times you may come to church and you may know I'm supposed to give a tongue. You have that in your heart. 
That doesn't mean you just walk out, walk through the door and start speaking in other tongues. Well, the Lord told me I was supposed to give a tongue. Here it is. No. You give it when the Holy Ghost prompts you to give it. You follow the unction of the Holy Ghost. You say, well, how long should it go on until the unction stops? Some people get so excited by being used by God, they start out under the anointing and end in the flesh. Because the Holy Ghost stopped, but you kept going. Right? So you follow the unction of the Spirit. You follow the leading. It's not going to be the Holy Ghost will run and grab you, says talk now, and stop talking here. It's a sensitive leading on the inside. But as you spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost, you'll be more sensitive to his leading. We all have something we carry. We all have a supply of the Spirit. And when we all come to church with our supply, God can do amazing things. If we all take time to pray during the week, not just the preacher, not just those who serve, if we all pray during the week, what God can accomplish when we gathered is maximized. Because we all have a supply. Say, I have a supply. So that's how you can come to church and you have something in your heart to be a blessing to somebody. Because there's sometimes, there are people who come to church, they, you know, they snuck by the ushers, snuck by hospitality, they, people waving, they're trying to sneak in and sneak out. But they sit next to you and you're overflowing with the love of God. And they kind of lift their hands at the altar call, they know they're supposed to go down, but they won't go down. And he say, hey, you want to go down? I'll bring you. And you bring someone to the Lord. You use your supply. Because what happened when we all to come together with our supply, there developed something called the corporate anointing. And through the corporate anointing, many things can be done for the kingdom of God. That's maximizing what one individual can do on their own. So if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, that by course let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. So what is he talking about here? That when the gift of tongues and interpretation is manifested, not your prayer language, not the ministry gift equipment, it's going to be by two or three individuals. Why? Because it's not going to cause confusion. He's a God of order. He's doing this for the edifying of the church. He's let it all be done by order. And so what happens, you can know, there's been a number of services I've gone to, well, I know in my heart there's supposed to be a tongue. I can go visit Southfield sometimes, other churches. I know there's supposed to be a tongue, but I'm not the one supposed to give it. How do I know that? In here, I don't have the unction or anointing to give it. So just because I know it's supposed to happen doesn't mean, well, I'm going to step up and give it. No. Let the Lord use who he wants to use. So you can come to church if you're sensitive enough, and you know there's supposed to be a tongue. But that doesn't mean you're the one supposed to give it. When do you give it? When you have this unction of the Holy Ghost to give it. Same with interpretation of tongues. You can know some things that the Lord is saying, but it doesn't mean you're the one supposed to interpret it. I know Bishop set certain rules in Southfield, and it was by the Spirit. The Lord let him do this. And he says, although you may be, because it's a huge auditorium, you can get 5,200 people in there without adding chairs. Yeah, chairs, you can get 7,000 people in there. That's a big room. And he said that although many of you in here can have the interpretation of the message, don't give it unless I give you the mic. What is the purpose of that? So that everybody in the room can be edified, not just those sitting in your section, so that your section is blessed and no one else knows what's going on. So that rule was implemented for the purpose of edifying everybody, right? So same why I'm taught on this. Go to verse 39. So, you know, you see Paul's not against speaking in tongues. So look down dimly on it. He talked about it a lot. And he said... Verse 39, wherefore, brethren, covet or desire strongly to prophesy, and forbid not speaking with tongues. So Paul says, don't you stop people from speaking other tongues. Don't tell them not to. They should speak in tongues. But as you see in these verses, everything should be done in order. So there is a time to speak in other tongues in church. We may say, hey, let's pray together, and we may all pray in the Holy Ghost. It doesn't have to be loud. You don't have to be boisterous. But there's a time to pray in the Holy Ghost silently. There's a time to pray in the Holy Ghost loudly. There's a time to worship in the Spirit. There's a time to worship in other tongues. But there's a other time to be quiet in the house of God. You have to think that if you boisterously yelling out in tongues is disrupting the move of God in the service, that's not God speaking through you. That's you in excess. That's why you follow the leading of the Spirit. 
And he also followed the leading of whoever God puts in the pulpit to lead that service or that experience. Because it's up to that person to follow the Holy Ghost. He put in them the leading for the service. And if they miss it, they miss it. It's not your job to correct them. Let God deal with whoever he puts up there to lead the service or the experience. So I know that a number of times in my teenage years and in college, I'd spend time praying in other tongues. And out of my mouth would come tongues and interpretation of tongues, and I'd go back to praying in other tongues. Those three words, those five words would come out of my mouth, and I'd go back to praying in other tongues. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so that would happen again and again at different times. And I knew that God wanted me to use that ministry gift at different times. Eventually, after it happened often enough. And so as I began to do some itinerant ministry, I was confident I grew in faith in giving a message in tongues. But I was like, well, at least I don't have to interpret it. Leave that to whoever else is here. And so that would happen. I'll be in those meetings in Missouri, different places, and I'd give a message in tongues, and another person would interpret. I remember one time I was at Sister Billy Broom's meeting, and I didn't know I had permission to give out a message in tongues. And so I had one, but I kept my mouth shut. But remember, he says you have control of your spirit in 1 Corinthians 14. It was really strong. I was like, I'm not going to say anything. Now, the two people who were leading the building came to me later and said, why don't you give that message in tongues? I said, I don't know. I could. They said, well, if you're sitting in those first four rows, we trust you. You can give out the message. Because none of us wanted to give it out. We knew you had it. And so I remember one of those meetings in Missouri, the Lord put me on the spot, gave a message in tongues, backed up, let the other person interpret. They said, I only got two lines of it. You got to give the rest. Now, I was nervous, not just because I was interpreting tongues really for the real first time, but because of the people who were in the first two rows on the left. The first two rows on the left of me were all Copeland's and Brim's. All of Brother Copeland's family, all of Sister Billy's family. And I knew that if I miss it, they know. If anybody in the world knows, these two rows are going to know I missed it. But I remember what Bishop said, it's all by faith. So I stepped up. Open my mouth, and the other two rows, all my friends who traveled to hear me preach. And I began to interpret it, and I knew it wasn't me because it all came out and rhymed. I don't have those giftings. I don't rap. I'm not even close to writing rhymes. And it all rhymed. One of my friends said, oh, we knew that wasn't you. We knew that was the Holy Ghost because everything you said rhymed. What was it? It was by faith. So over those months that year, the Lord was causing me to step up and grow in that faith and being used by him in that area. So I graduated from ORU, and I moved down to Round Rock outside of Austin, Texas. One of my first few weeks being on staff, a message in tongues comes out from the congregation, and I'm doing the welcome. And so normally, if, you know, bishops like, go ahead and interpret it. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to back up, let someone else interpret this. And I thought I was in the clear. Someone else interprets the message. I think I'm good. Lord have mercy. Bishop. Started flowing in the Holy Ghost. Come here. Tongues, interpretation, tongues, lays hands on me. Word of knowledge. Flow in the office of the pastor. The day I try to back up from the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost says, not, 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 not today. And so ever since then, we would allow the Holy Ghost to move. And I would tell those stories and minister this message for this one purpose. About last week sometime, out as walking, might be praying, might be not. Thing was heading back to my apartment, and the Lord said, tongues and interpretation of tongues is going to be very important for the church in the days ahead. Talk about this church. It's going to be very important. So I know there's some things God is going to reveal to us through those gifts of the Spirit and through the supernatural ministry gift equipment that is in the office of the pastor. That's important for what we're doing here, the messages we're preaching, but also where God is taking us in this last year here and when we move to the, the new land. There are some things God is already doing that is marvelous. But he let me know that tongues and interpretation of tongues is going to be important for what we're about to do. So my faith is set for it to manifest even more. It did on Sunday. And it will keep doing that because God has something he wants to do. And he's choosing to use it through this vehicle of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So it will come through the congregation at times, a message in tongues. That's why I just taught you what to do and how to know when to give it and when not to give it. There will be times where they'll have the ministers interpret it. There will be times where I'll interpret it. 
but it's going to edify, it's going to exhort, and it's going to comfort. The whole purpose of that is to build up the church, that the church may be stronger, that the church may be glorious, and that the lost may be one. Because one of the times you talk to people, you know, I, when I was in high school in Michigan, there would be people I'd bring to church. You know, there would be people who would bring people to church who aren't from a charismatic church and they pray, Holy Ghost, please behave. Don't let anybody get drunk in the spirit. Don't let anybody run. Don't let anyone fall. Just be, behave, Holy Ghost. Me, I was the opposite. Come on, Holy Ghost, do something. Just mess with them right here. And so I remember one time I invited somebody, and I just thought he didn't show up, but he sat in a different section. And I talked to him at school the next day. I said, hey, when did you come? He says, I got there right before that lady started speaking in tongues. <laughs> That's how he remembered it. But you know what happened? There was an interpretation. I would show these videos when I, or you other people, and they're talking about how marvelous it was to see the Holy Ghost move that way. Listening to a message Bishop preached a couple weeks ago, I believe Sister Marilyn Hickey came to visit to preach up there, and Bob Yandian came. They said, it's so rare to hear tongues and interpretation these days. It was so refreshing to hear that. But coming from our group, it seems normal. I remember going to ORU, and the Hankins came to speak. They were just there ministering to the Roberts family. And all the people who came from Word of Faith and Word of Faith-like churches from our group, they're like, yeah, this is normal. Yes, it feels like home. But everybody else, thousands of others said, we've never seen anything like that before. They've never seen the ministry of the Holy Ghost like that before. But it's what we're used to. And what the Holy Ghost just put on us is an emphasis to have it happen more often in our experience. One of the things to add before I close is don't try to make something happen. So what pastor said is more important, so I'm going to give a message today. No. Follow the Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost just like I have the Holy Ghost. Don't try to make something happen. Just yield to the Spirit if he moves on your heart to give a message. And if you miss it, I'll let you know. I'll say, yeah. That's not what the Holy Ghost is doing right now. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel that you've sinned against God and that God can never use you. Just know, hey, you missed it. It's part of the learning and growing process. But we're going to be used in what God called us to do in these days. Amen? We'll stand to your feet. Let's take a few moments and pray in the Holy Ghost. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost for a few moments. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.